Neuropathways, a Cleveland Clinic podcast for medical professionals exploring the latest research discoveries and clinical advances in the fields of neurology and neurosurgery. Welcome to another episode of Neuropathways. I'm your host, Alex Ray Grant, neurologist in the Cleveland Clinic's Neurological Institute. In an effort to explore the latest advances in neurological practice, today we're talking with Dr. Mike Steinmetz about the latest developments in spine surgery, specifically minimally invasive spine surgery. Dr. Steinmetz is the chairman of the Department of Neurosurgery and spine surgeon in the Center for Spine Health in Cleveland Clinic's Neurological Institute. Mike, welcome to Neuropathways. Thanks, Alex. Happy to be here. Before we start, Mike, tell us a little about yourself, where you're from, where you trained, and when did you begin your career at the Cleveland Clinic? Sure. So I grew up in the Southwest. I lived the majority of my young life in El Paso, Texas. Never thought I'd ever leave the Southwest, but came up to the Cleveland Clinic to train in neurosurgery and put roots down and been here ever since. So I arrived here in 1999, left uh, after residency to do a fellowship in Wisconsin, came back and have never looked back. So I'm going on 20 years here at the Cleveland Clinic. And I'm sure you're enjoying the weather. <laughs> the weather is great. Yeah, it's a big change coming from the Southwest. Lots but, of change. But now it's, uh, now it's home. Kind of used to it. That's right. right. Well, good. Well, let's start off broadly. Can you define the term minimally invasive spine surgery for the audience? That's a, that's a great question. And, and it's often misunderstood even amongst us in spine surgery. And we really try to define what that means. But in a, in a big picture view, what minimally invasive spine surgery is really a difference compared to traditional surgery and just the approach. So what we're trying to do is to be minimally disruptive to the muscles and soft tissues of the spine but to gain access to the spine. So in essence, we can do any type of surgery we could do open, but through a much, much smaller corridor to minimize the damage. Now, what's important about this is when you talk to patients, they often view this as the skin incision. They wanna have a, a quote unquote band-aid surgery, a few millimeter incision, and that's minimally invasive. But for us, the skin incision really doesn't hurt. It's not that relevant. It's really what we do to the muscles down below. In a traditional operation, you've got to strip the muscle off the spine. It could be very damaging. But in a minimally invasive approach, we dilate up the muscles slowly so we have minimal damage to create that corridor. Mike, we know that back pain is one of the most widespread health problems affecting many Americans. Can you describe what spine conditions are suitable for minimally invasive spine surgery versus open approaches? Sure. Again, another great question. Now, you can pretty much do almost any surgery that we would do in a traditional open way in a minimally invasive fashion. But if you've got this hammer, so to say, with minimally invasive, not every patient is that nail for them. So there are differences with these approaches that we can do safely, and it depends on what the patient is presenting for. So let me give you a classic example with a patient. Uh, I saw a patient who had a pretty significant spinal deformity and had very bad back pain. So to treat that with surgery, that involves reconstructive spine surgery with a lot of screws, rods, removing bone through an osteotomy. That is not a classic minimally invasive surgery. That's in fact a maximally invasive surgery. But what the patient came to me for was a minimally invasive endoscopic foraminotomy, which is what they were told they needed. So it's not an issue of could it be done for the patient, it was just the wrong operation for that patient. So hopefully I'm answering that correctly. We can, we can almost do anything open minimally invasive, but uh, there are specific indications for it 
uh, when it works well, when it shouldn't be done from a safety standpoint. So we've got to individualize uh, that patient and the technique. It's not a, a one-trick pony, so to say. You've got to be able to customize it uh, for, the, for the patients. And that's why coming to a center like ours, putting in a plug for our spine center, where we do open and minimally invasive, we can try to design the correct operation for that patient. And if we can do it minimally invasive, we sure will offer it. So I can imagine with what you've said, if I had to have a spine surgery, I would think with the less traumatic approach that you guys do with minimally invasive, I'd be feeling better after the operation and be up and moving better. But is that the main benefit of the minimally invasive surgery? Are there other benefits sure. we should talk about? Sure. And I think, I think what you just said is probably the biggest benefit of it is theoretically, if I approach your spine in a, in a less damaging corridor, I should lose less blood with the surgery. Um, and be less traumatic. So the thought is you'd have less pain in kind of that perioperative early outcome uh, time point where you're up earlier, you're moving faster with less pain. I can get you back to work or get you back to life faster. So those truly are the biggest benefits. Now, in the literature, people have shown less blood loss, less pain medication usage as well. But again, I think in my own anecdotal experience, it's getting patients up faster, out of the hospital quicker, and not, you know, in, in big lumbar surgery, not as much blood transfusion as well. Tell us about, we always like to hear about the latest technology in medicine. What, what are some of the latest things that you have brought to bear in minimally invasive spine surgery? So there's probably two, if we're looking at the, the latest uh, advances. One has been endoscopic spine surgery. Now, Endoscopic spine surgery, meaning truly operating in the spine through an endoscope, has been around for many years. Um, but it was largely, I'm going to call it a fringe procedure. Really, it wasn't done by traditional spine surgeons. It was kind of frowned upon because the um, techniques were done for probably not clear indications. The scope technology was not very good. The tools to be able to work through the endoscopes were not very good. And what we've seen probably in even the last five years has been some companies putting significant dollars in research and development into these endoscopic platforms. So now we have, you know, much better endoscopes. So our visibility and illumination is significantly greater. There's always been an issue of three dimension or depth perception, but with modern endoscopes, that's becoming less of a problem. And now we have a wide variety of tools that are available to work through the endoscope uh, and allow us to apply this to a much greater number of patients and indications. So my ability to not only do less invasive surgery, which is still cutting the skin, dilating up the muscles, you know, putting a tubular retractor in and working through it, now I can do that through a much smaller endoscope that is here now and we're using it. So what used to be kind of a fringe procedure and almost like shunned uh, is now being accepted and performed at big academic centers such as ourselves. And I think with R&D from industry, I think we're going to see a much greater application of these technologies moving forward. Uh, and again, I think there you're, you're talking about being able to do surgeries, including fusion surgeries in a patient completely awake. So you can almost avoid general anesthesia with some of these. And so I think that that is, that is on the forefront and that's going to continue to advance. Probably the second biggest advance is robotics. And we're way behind the other surgical subspecialties with robotics, the robots we have available in spine now, and there's probably three in the US that are available currently, are very basic. They're really a, a guidance arm that allows you to put screws in, and it's very simplistic. But what we have today is not what 
these will be used for, for probably even five years from now. So we think about how we access the spine, how we get there through the abdominal corridor, through the spine, doing this minimally invasive. It's still a little bit challenging because we're doing it by hand. We're using often fluoroscopic imaging to do that. Now we're at a point where we could simulate or plan this operation on a robot and then use the robotic technology to gain access to the spine in a very, you know, in a minimally disruptive way and then help us guide surgery. You know, we could be, probably be able to drill bones safer, certainly place our hardware safer, our screws and rods, which is what it can do now. So I think this technology is, is just advancing, you know, significantly. What we can do today, very simple. What we're going to do five years from now will be probably much more complex than it is now. We're just on the forefront. We just took one baby step into robotics, and this is going to take off uh, moving forward. And I think the last thing, and this is, these aren't the only three, but I think the other thing that is gaining a lot of foothold in spine as well as other uh, subspecialties is the use of artificial intelligence. You know, spine is still one of those practices where it often is some of the art of medicine and not just a science, right? It's trying to take a patient, try to correlate the imaging to their symptoms, see if there's surgical design of surgery to treat it. And you're often guessing to some extent about some of these pathologies. With the advent of artificial intelligence and large patient data registries like we have at Cleveland Clinic, we can truly develop population-based predictive algorithms or predictive you know, software platforms that can help us take a patient in and before we even start talking uh, with them, know with fairly high degree of certainty if we did an operation, is it gonna be effective? Maybe another surgeon in our group is more effective based on the predictive analytics, maybe doing it at one of our different hospitals in the main campus. So the power we have in, in being able to predict accurately patient outcomes with our interventions is only going to grow astronomically. So I think, to me, those are three huge forefronts of, uh, of spine surgery and really going to change the way we practice. It's really kind of an exciting time in that field. I think it is, yeah. We were stagnant for a long period of time, and the only thing that changed was really the technology, right? We've still you know, choosing patients the same way, doing the same thing, but with some advances in how we do it. With the advent of robotics and predictive analytics, I think it's really going to change not only what we do, but how we choose those patients in a better way. And that's going to change our field forever. And so if I were a referring physician, you know, what, what might be the sort of the most appropriate patient type to be sending off to you guys to look at? I mean, is there a particular group of people who particularly will benefit from this uh, approach? From a, from a surgical approach, you mean? Yeah, or, yeah. Well, you know, again, I, I think the patients that do the best in surgery are ones that have, you know, typically a, a condition that has been relatively short-lived, meaning different differentiating be someone who has three months of pain versus somebody with 15 years of pain, it's now likely a chronic pain syndrome. So somebody whose condition is rather acute or subacute, who has had an adequate trial of conventional therapy, physical therapy, medications, uh, injections, and is motivated, you know, to get better, that is probably the ideal candidate, you know, for surgery. And I contrast that with a patient who perhaps has been out of work for multiple years, who's on narcotics, who's had, you know, 15, 20 years of pain, that patient more likely has a chronic pain syndrome. And, and we always say, no matter what the pathology is outside of a tumor or infection, but on the degenerative end, in that patient, surgery can't fix that problem. You know, you need uh, an advent of probably pain psychology and other, you know, modalities to try to get that patient better. And I know we've talked about surgery specifically in this segment, but obviously the Spine Center has 
those other capabilities and, and often does not approach things from a surgical point of view. That's exactly right. If you look at um, the number of patients that come through our spine center, only a minority of those actually go on to have spine surgery. And that I think that's really what we try to highlight with our interdisciplinary spine team where we've got you know physical medicine and rehab doctors, we have interventionalists, we have general neurologists, pain psychologists, and those of us on the surgical realm that Number one is we can offer a patient almost anything they need from that, but also if someone comes through the door and sees me at surgery for a surgical opinion, but I think they should see a pain psychologist first and have other conservative modalities, those people are right here as well and willing to take them in and we keep them within our team and we're all talking to each other. And we think that approach is best for these spine patients. Anything else as a take home point for our audience? Anything else that we should have them take away from this conversation? From the minimally invasive realm, I think that, again, these technologies are advancing. Um, I think the main take home for that is these approaches are good for a number of patients, but they're not good for every patient. And so sending somebody on strictly for minimally invasive surgery, the patient may be offered it, but they may not because there's a more appropriate, safer approach to take. Technology is really advancing. It's a really exciting time. I think that what we can do and how we can predict it is really going to change moving forward. And again, our, our team is multidisciplinary and happy to see anybody. We'll get them plugged in the system and, and be able to try to give them the most appropriate treatment, even if it's not surgery. Well, thanks, Mike. Thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate your time and insights. My pleasure. This concludes this episode of our Neuropathways podcast. You can find additional podcast episodes on our website, clevelandclinic.org slash neuropodcast. Subscribe to the Neuropathways podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget, you can access real-time updates from experts in Cleveland Clinic's Neurological Institute on our ConsultQD website, consultqd.clevelandclinic.org slash neuro, or follow us on Twitter at MD, all one word, that's at MD on Twitter. Thank you for listening. Please join us again soon.